0: Thank you for joining us here on the Bowling Green Christian Church podcast. Our mission is to love God, encourage our community, serve those in need, and share the good news of Jesus. You can find out more about how we do this on our website at BowlingGreenChristian.org. It is our prayer that the following message encourages you as you take your next step in faith. Right, so we're in the middle of our series, Ready or Not. It is about living in an ever-changing world, because that's the kind of world we live in. Uh, let's see. We are going through the books of First and Second Thessalonians, trying to get some uh, wisdom from the Apostle Paul, because he writes uh, these letters to the church they're in the city of Thessalonica, and they are struggling with change. They are living in a changing world just like ours, and they are trying to navigate that. And so uh, we started the series looking at chapter one, because we're going through it chronologically, you know, traditional, Um, and we saw that Paul really said, you know, if you're going to live a life of intention in a changing world, you need to set a course. You need to sort of point out Someplace on the horizon, and say, That's the place I want to go. That's the, the life I want to live. That's where I want to go. That's the person I want to be. And, and you've got to set at least your course and set a goal. And so, once you've done that, then it's important to get people to come with you, to connect with the community, because you can go fast alone, but you go far together. And so, that was sort of the start of this. Uh, last week, we looked at how there is a trap or a temptation we fall into it's this temptation of a shortcut. Uh, you know, cutting corners, uh, trying to take a little bit of an easier way uh, to get to where we want to be. But the truth is we don't become the people we want to be by taking shortcuts. I love what Craig Rochelle says. He says, successful people do consistently what everybody else does occasionally. And I think he's right on the money with that. And you can't sometimes do something right and expect you know, that that's going to make up for every other time. We've got to live lives that are consistent. So we set the goal. We, we connect with community, and we avoid the shortcuts. And today there's one other sort of trap or pitfall that I want us to uh, look at here in the book of First Thessalonians. We're in chapter 5 today. It's another trap that we fall into. Uh, it, it's, it, it's associated with a word that um, a lot of people use, a lot of people say, and I think we hear it a lot in the church, maybe even more than other places. It's this word, I'm sure you've heard it, should. You know, it should. You know, things should be like this. It should be that way. You know, this is how it should be. This is how people should be. People should want, you know, this. People should want to come to church. You know, the preaching should be like this, and it should be short, and, you know, the worship music, it should be like that, and that's how it should be, and we get stuck with this should, and everything should be this way, and, and we end up just sort of shooting all over ourselves, and it's a real problem, and it's not just in church that we do this. We do this in our lives, you know, we look at our, maybe your marriage and you go, you know, my marriage would be better if my wife would be the person she should be. You know, it's, it's her fault. She's not who she should be. You know, the reason, you know, you're not happy with your job is, you know, they don't recognize the person you are. You should have gotten this promotion. They should see who you are and the talent and the gift that you are to, to the company and to the business. You know, you maybe don't have the grades you have because people, you know, your teacher's not seen who you are, and, and it should be like this. You know, life should be easier. It shouldn't be this hard. And we get stuck in this place where everything should be something else, and it should be a different way, and it shouldn't be the way that it is. And we get sort of locked in and, and almost sort of just held prisoner because we can't be who we want to be because everything else isn't the way that it should be. And it leads us to a place of defeat, and we start to give up. And, you know, I, I would, you know, serve, you know, if, if I had the time, and I should have the time, but I, I don't. You know, I would give, you know, if I had gotten the raise, I was, you know, I should have gotten. You know, I, I get that. It's not how we want it to be. It's not maybe even how it should be. I understand. But the truth is this, and this is what Paul's going to say is, listen, you got to work with what you got. You know, you got to work with what you got. You got you to gotta deal with the way things are. If you travel around, you know, the country, you will notice that um, houses are built out of different materials. Now, I know that today things are largely driven by style and architecture and building codes and homeowners association. I get that. But if you go way back in, in time and history and tradition, you will find that people built, you know, with what they had around them. When we came, you know, out uh, to Kentucky from out east, one thing we said uh, to a lot of people was, man, there's all these houses here made out of brick, because there's not a lot of houses made out of brick out west out where where we lived. If, if, you know, you might say there's that brick house in the neighborhood, and everybody would know there's, yeah, there's one brick house, sort of abnormal brick house someplace, that's where it is. Uh, Most houses are made with stucco, you know, it's that concrete that gets Poured on, or sprayed on, or you know, I think they call it ethos out here. It's just it's just a stucco that gets put on things. Why? Because there's sand and there's dirt, and that's easy to do. And. And manipulate and move. You go to Florida. Uh, you know, you run a bulldozer across anything. You get about a foot down, and what? There's sand. And so they build a lot with concrete out there. Concrete blocks and and brick. And again, more stucco. Why? Because you build with what you've got. In a place where you got a lot of clay, and you can build bricks. You you make brick houses. You go up into the mountains. You know, the very first log cabin wasn't built out of logs because it was trendy. You know, it was featured in Architectural Digest that way. Uh, friends, no, there were pioneer people and they said, we need to build a house. What can we build a house with? There's logs. Maybe we could build us a house with logs. Let's give it a try. That's how it went. They worked with what they got. You know, if they had waited for the brick truck to come, they'd have been waiting a long time. You got to work with what you have. It's true in building materials. It's true in life. The Thessalonian church is struggling with this. Because they think they should know more. They should have more information than what they've got. And and here's what Paul writes to them. Here's what he writes. He says, listen, Brothers and sisters, we don't have to write you about the times and dates. Now this is what we call an occasional letter. Paul is writing it for a particular occasion. It's a it's a setting. It's actually a response. Uh, The Thessalonian uh, church they had sent message to Paul either through Timothy, who's just come back, he said, or maybe through a letter, Uh, and they asked Paul. They said, Paul, could you tell us when Jesus is coming back? We know we're supposed to be ready for Jesus. So like, if you could give us the date and we could put it in our day timer, you know, put it in the date book, that'd be really convenient. And then we'll make sure we're ready for him. And Paul says, Listen, I. I don't have to write you about that. He says, you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In other words, you don't know. The thief doesn't call, you know, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and say, would tonight, somewhere between, you know, like 1 and 3 a.m., would that be convenient for me to rob you? That's not how that works. Paul says, it comes. It's unexpected. He says, people will be saying, everything's peaceful and safe. It's all good. That's what people are going to be saying. He said, then suddenly they will be destroyed. You know, it will happen like birth pains coming on a pregnant woman. None of the people will escape. Paul says, listen, it's going to just come. And when it comes, it's going to happen fast. It's going to happen quick. And it's just going to happen. Jesus is just going to come back. That's how it's going to be. And so you got to start with what you know, Paul says. He says, you don't know the dates when Jesus is coming back. You don't know these times. He says, but that's really okay because you don't need to know them. He continues, he'll say, Brothers and sisters, you are not in darkness. So that day should not surprise you as a thief would. But Paul's giving a little bit of an image here. He's saying, listen, if the thief comes at night, he comes in the darkness, he comes when everybody's sleeping and nobody's paying attention, he says, if you instead are always awake and you live during the daytime and you never go to sleep and you never, you know, don't think about Jesus coming back and you're always alert and you're always dedicated... He says, then it will not surprise you. It won't matter whether he comes back today or tomorrow or in a year. If you live awake and you live your life alert, it's not going to surprise you. He says, that day won't surprise you. He says, all of you are children of the light. You are children of the day. We don't belong to the night. We don't belong to the darkness. So let us not be like the others. They are asleep. Instead, let us be wide awake and in full control of ourselves. Paul says, listen, you know enough to get started. Start with what you know. You know, the Thessalonian Christians, they were a lot like Christians today. They said, you know, I want to do this, but I should know more. I should have this experience. I should have this training or this knowledge. And Paul says, you don't have to have that to get started. Start with what you know. It's amazing what can happen when you simply decide to get started. It's been said that just getting started is half done. During World War II, uh, the United States, they built the atomic bomb uh, largely at the Oak Ridge facility, not too far from here in Tennessee. Uh, Some of you have been out there. It's it's pretty neat. It's, yeah, four of you. It's cool. It's cool you should go. It's exciting. I've been. It's neat. They've got a big, neat science center there. And, you know, you leave glowing. Um, But anyway, so during that time they were building the bomb and all of the men largely that were able-bodied had gone off to world war ii and so who was left here but you know a bunch of gals were left here and so they needed a workforce to build this atomic bomb and so they bring in a bunch of gals to work at the oak ridge facility and uh, here's a group of ladies they they came to be known as the calutron girls these were the the gals that sat i'm gonna fall off the stage I'm not real careful. Uh, they sat there in front of these machines. These machines are each called the calutron, and they would work there on these machines. And so the girls that worked on the calutron machine became known as the calutron girls. If I've lost anybody, just put your hand up okay we're all good all right so here's the thing this calutron machine up to this point in time had only ever been operated by phd physicists by people with a phd in physics in a lab in a small school called berkeley maybe you've heard of this out west there's a school called berkeley they developed this machine the whole process of separating the uranium isotopes using electromagnetic energy and magic for all i really know and it was all done in this machine these physicists operated them, these PhD kinds of people, but they didn't have enough PhD physicists to operate all the calutron machines they had at Oak Ridge. So they built all these calutron machines and they bring all these girls in, and the vast majority of them had just graduated from high school. And they said, we're going to put the high school graduates on the calutron machines. And all the PhD male physicists, because that's pretty much all they were at this point in time, said, I don't think they can handle this. But they gave them some training. And they didn't tell them what they were doing. They didn't tell them we're building an atomic bomb. They didn't tell them any of those sorts of things. They just said, hey, listen, let me tell you how to operate this machine. You know, here's some dials. You know, you use these dials. When this indicator goes this way, you turn the dial that way. And if this light comes on, you push this button. And there was just all this training. And they taught them how to use the Calutron machine. And after about a month, they found out that these these Calutron girls actually did a better job operating the machines than the Ph.D. physicists. And they figured out why that was. is because all these men, uh, you know, they kept fidgeting with it. They kept trying to make it better. You know, they kept trying to improve it just a little bit. And they, so they, would, they could never leave the machine alone. They just kept tampering with it. And then if they couldn't, you know, get it to come into spec, they would try and keep trying and they would never ask for help. Does this sound familiar? And they would just keep working at it. But the Calutron girls, they've been taught, you know, hey, listen, this is what you do. This is the, the, this is the lane you stay in. If it gets out of that, you call your supervisor. Work marvelously. It worked really, really well. Now, these girls didn't understand what they're doing, but they knew enough to get started. And yet so many people in, in the world we live in, we just say, I don't know enough. I, I'm not really proud of this, but I have sort of a motto that I live my life by. It's unofficial. Um it goes like this. It's what I don't have in knowledge, I make up for in zeal. Um, If I don't understand enough, I'll just keep trying and try harder, and eventually we'll work out. Uh, There's a lot of things I've started in my life that as I look back on it, I'm like, what was I thinking? Like replacing brakes in my car. Really, I don't know this. I don't know. Like like the commercial, if your brakes don't stop you, something else will. I mean, that's just sort of the motto. So, but I got into it and I started and I really have got no clue what I'm doing, but I figured this out along the way. I ended up running a gas line of all things too. Interesting, right? I don't know what I'm doing. This you know, but I figured it out along the way. Found people that knew what they were doing. This this is what happens. It, you just gotta get started. And yet, so often in life, if we don't have all of the steps mapped out, if we don't know exactly how this is going to go, if the conditions aren't the way they should be, then we say, Well, I'm not even going to get started. And Paul says, No, I, you got to start with what you know. You got to work with what you have. It surprises me how many Christians will say, You know, I just don't know enough about my faith. And so they do nothing with what they have. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, If you've been baptized into him, guess what? You have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. And that is more than enough to get started. You have more than enough knowledge. If you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have more than enough knowledge to to teach a child. You have more than enough knowledge to share your faith with somebody who does not have it. That's friends, is enough to get going. That's all we need. The time is never going to be right. The time is never going to per- be perfect. You will never know enough. So you might as well get started with what you know. And then you've got to work with what you have. And this includes people, okay? This includes the people that are on your team, that are in your community, that are in your community group, that are in your ministry team, whatever it is. You've got to just kind of work the people you got. You know, you do. Paul writes to the church, he says, Listen, brothers and sisters, we ask you to have respect for the godly leaders who work hard among you. He says, They have authority over you, they correct you. Have a lot of respect for them. Love them because of what they do. Live in peace with one another. Let's just break this down for a second. Paul says, I want you to have respect for the godly workers who work hard among you. Who are the godly leaders in the church of Thessalonica? They are all new Christians. They are. They're all new Christians. You've got Paul's team who are sort of the veteran Christians. They were there. They planted the church. They helped train up some people. And then they left. And who was left there? You had people who'd come out of pagan temples worshiping foreign gods. You have people that had come out of a synagogue. Nobody in that church grew up in the church, nobody in that church had been to Bible college, nobody in that church had been to seminary. They were all new. And so Paul says, you need to respect these people. You need to love these people. He says, listen, they work hard. Notice what Paul does not say. He doesn't say they're perfect. Paul doesn't say they get it right. He doesn't say they're more right than they're wrong. He all he says is listen, they work hard. He's really saying just give them a break. They're trying. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying these are not perfect people. You give them a break. They're trying. Now, elsewhere, Paul will call on the leaders. He'll say, you need to be godly people, and you need to work and grow in your faith, and you need to pray for folks, and you need to to grow in your own love and care for for the people that have been trusted to you. Yes, Paul's going to call on the leaders to do that. But here he's talking to the folks, and he says, listen, you got to work with what you got. These people, they're the best you've got. You've got to work with them. You've got to have a lot of respect for them. Love them. What does it say? Because of what they do. Notice he doesn't even say love them because of who they are. He says just love them because of what they do. They're trying really hard. Cut them some slack. That's what Paul is saying to them. He's telling them, you know, cut them a break. Let me ask you, what what about you and the people in leadership over you? What are your Sunday school teacher, elders of the church, church staff hey, what about your your boss at work or or your teachers i mean i don't know what do they say about you if you give them a call and their number comes up on their caller id what's their reaction are they going oh great here we go again are they going "Oh, right. i can go to voicemail we'll deal with that later what do they say when you call are you, do you only visit, do you only talk to them when you've got a complaint? And so whenever you, know, you knock on their door, you come in, you go, hey, I've got just one thing to talk about. Are they going, all right, here we go again. More complaining. Or are they glad to see you? Are they happy to see you? Do they feel that you are encouraging them and that, that you are trying to help them be the person that they're trying to be? What is it? Are you working on a team or are you working against it? Paul says, you, you gotta work with what you got. You gotta work with the people you have. That's how it is. He'll call out other folks too. He'll say, brothers and sisters, we're asking you to warn those who don't want to work. There's people in the church who aren't pulling their weight. Paul says, tell them, tell them to get off the pew and to get into doing something. Tell them to do that. He says, Cheer up the people who are shy. Help those who are weak. Notice this phrase, this is real spiritual. I don't see this in anybody's like bathroom with you know, like their scripture quote there, put up with everyone. First Thessalonians 5, 14. That's inspiring, right? Just put up with everyone. Notice he doesn't say you got to love, you know, like treat them all, like have them all over. Saying, yeah, listen, you just got to put up with people sometimes. Put up with them. Put up with everyone. He says, make sure that nobody pays back one wrong act with another. And here's what he says. He says, always try to be kind. Always try. Try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Paul says, listen, you gotta work with what you've got. You gotta work with the people that surround you. And you've even got to work in the time you've been given. Look, look, look here at this. What does this say? It says, always be joyful. Let's let's say that one together. Always be joyful. Let's try it again. Have you noticed how when you smile, your voice sounds different? Like if you say, always be joyful, it sounds like that. But if you smile, say always be joyful. Do you hear the difference in the, Always be joyful. Always be joyful. Do you hear that? Let's let's try. Let's try one more time. Everybody's going to smile, even if it's fake. I know some of you it's forced, you know, some of you don't smile much. That's okay. We're going to just try like this. If you need to warm it up, just kind of, there you go. All right, here we go. One, two, three, always be joyful. All right, that's perfect. You did a good job. Uh, notice paul doesn't say you should be joyful when the times are the way they should be you know you're joyful when things are going the way they should he says just always be joyful he says because it's not always going to be that way so you got to be joyful always be joyful he says give thanks no matter what happens what are you going to give thanks for he says he wants you to give thanks because you believe in christ jesus So the only thing you might be able to give thanks for in a moment is the fact that you're saved and you're going to heaven, and heaven's going to be better than the place that you are right now. That might be the only thing you can give thanks for. But that is something. And if you know that you're going someplace better, then you can be joyful right now because you are not stuck there. You've got something to look forward to. Paul says, work with what you've got. Always be joyful. Give thanks. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt said it this way. He says, do what you can with what you have where you are. Friends, our teaching theme this year is right now. And we're doing a little bit of play words there. Right being the verb to make right now this present moment. To right now. Because now is not always right. Now sometimes feels wrong, and now sometimes doesn't feel like the right moment. But we can make it right. We can make now right. We can right now. And that's what Paul's calling us to. Is Listen, there's, the time's not ever, ever going to be the way it should be. He says, you've got to make it that way. You've got to write now. That's what we're called to do. And as we do that, we've got to remain open to God's leading. You know, here's the thing. I think we should always be moving in the direction God is leading us, even if we're not sure. This really weirds some people out. They're like, I'm going to wait right here until like, I know for sure. You might be waiting for a long time, okay? And I know a lot of people have been sitting, you know, for a long time because they're just not sure what God's calling them to do. God is probably not calling you to do nothing. I bet that's what he's not calling you to do. He's probably calling you to do something. So give it a try. Try something. Give it a shot. And here's the thing. You will probably get it wrong from time to time. I've got it wrong. The church has gotten it wrong. This church has gotten it wrong from time to time. It's just how it is. But you move in the direction you think God is leading and you listen and you have humility and faith because you realize that God can sometimes give you a little bit of course correction. Here's how Paul says it. He says it this way. He says, Don't put out the Holy Spirit's fire. In other words, if you feel like God's Spirit's calling you to do something, then go do it. Don't be like, no, I don't know. I, you know, I gotta have a sign or a symbol or, you know, like a skywriter or a letter or a telegram. I don't, I don't know, I need something else if you feel that leading, go give it a try. See, see what happens. You may find out that it's wrong. You may find out that it's right. Give it a shot. Paul says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't treat prophecies as if they amount to nothing. In other words, if somebody comes to you and they say, you know, here's what I think God might be saying to you, don't just disregard that. Don't just say, well, you don't know what you're talking about. Paul says, no, listen to them. Here's what he says. He says, put everything to the test. So listen to what they say. Put it to the test. You know, does this line up with Scripture? Does this sound like something God might say? If it does, then hold on to what's good and stay away from every kind of evil. You know, hold on to the good things. Listen, remain open to God's leading. Uh, a guy by the name of Perry Hefty uh, and his wife, Arliss, uh, he's a chiropractor. They had it on their hearts for, for years to, to build this like m- healthcare ministry and retreat center for, for Christian missionaries and Christian workers. Um, and so, man, that's their big plan. They felt like God was leading them to do that, and they spent a lot of time praying. They never got this $2.5 million, and yet they, they felt this prompting from God that said, begin with what you have. And so they said, all right, we'll do that. And so Perry as a chiropractor. He started just to give free care away in his chiropractic clinic. And he would just give free care away to missionaries and pastors and other full-time Christian workers uh, who had physical needs and financial needs and health care needs. And that's what he did. Started in 1994. Uh, Fast forward, about a third of his business was completely donated to other people. Uh, you know, five years later, they were not able to build a a new giant retreat center. They did have to build a new office. The practice had grown, and they said, you know what? We hope to someday be able to realize that dream, but we might not ever, but we've started with what we've got. We began with what we knew. We worked with what we have, and we've remained open to God's leading. I I, want to let you know something that I think is important. I guess it's super, super basic, but it's important you hear this. God will never hold you accountable for not doing something with something you did not have. Just think about that for a second. God is never going to hold you accountable for not doing something with something you don't have. If you don't have $2.5 million, guess what? God's not going to hold you accountable for not doing something with that because you don't have it. But God will hold you accountable for not doing something with something you do have. That's the truth. God says, listen, I've given you some things. I expect you to do something with what you've been given. Even if it's not what you think you should have, start with what you know. Work with what you've got. And so as we think about that today, I would say, what is the next step for you in your faith? Where where are you going to go from here? You know, our mission here is we believe that we are called to be less so that Jesus can become more. Less stands for loving God. Encouraging others, serving, and sharing our faith—that's what it stands for, and that's not something we invented. That's something that I think Scripture teaches very clearly. That God calls us to love Him, to encourage each other, to serve, and to share. That's what He calls us to. And so, just spend some time going through that. Say, you know, am I loving God with everything I've got? You know, that starts with corporate worship. Yeah, it starts here. It Doesn't end here. You know, are you showing up? That's you know, that's a good first step. I, you know, are you giving? You know, I, well, I can't tithe. Well, that's, that's fine. What, what can you do? Start with what you've got. Start where you are. That's what God's calling us to. Well, Encourage people. Well, you know, I can't get in a community group. They're not open. Yeah, they're going to open up in August. I got that. But, you know, we got a Life on Mission class coming. That's going to be a great class. There's going to be a lot of neat people in that class. You could meet those folks. You could get to know them. You could form some community there. You could encourage each other there. That'd be a start. What about serving You know, people don't realize we've got two hours of worship here, so you can attend worship one hour and serve the other. I know, this is mind-blowing for some. Are you serving? Are you sharing your faith? Are you telling people you're going to pray for them? These aren't hard, but it requires one thing that you say, you know what, I'm going to get started. I'm going to start with what I've got. Let me pray. God, I confess that there have been times in my life when I've got stuck in the trap of the way things should be or shouldn't be in the way I want them to be, and God, dealing with reality that sometimes isn't how I'd like for it to be. And so, God, I I just pray, Lord, a, a prayer of forgiveness for myself and everybody else who's fallen into this trap. God, you're calling us to just start with what we've got, to be faithful with what you've given to us. And so, God, for everybody that's here this morning, I pray that you would I think most of the time we know what we're supposed to do, God. So my prayer is that you'd give us the courage to just take that next step, to start with what we know, to work with what we have, and to remain open to your leading. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. When you're ready to take the next step on your faith journey, visit our website at BowlingGreenChristian.org and find more information about service times and other programming for both adults and children. Thank you again, and have a blessed day.